your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4 and stand with me as we continue our series on spiritual worship. John chapter 4, verse 19. I'll be reading out of the Amplified Bible, which is a translation. Uh, Be very careful of many modern-day paraphrases because they have the liberty, believe it or not, not to stay uh, connected to and stringently to the original text. But the Amplified Bible just takes the original text and it uses synonyms and adds, uh, more fully expresses the original thought. So, John 4, 19 through 26. The woman, this is the woman at the well, said to Jesus, Sir, I understand that you are a prophet. Our forefathers worshipped on this mountain. But you, the Jews, say that Jerusalem is the place where it is necessary and proper to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, a time is coming... When you will worship the Father, neither, which means merely. You won't just worship him merely in this mountain or merely in Jerusalem. You, the Samaritans, do not know what or who you are worshiping. You worship what you don't comprehend. We do know what we are worshiping. The Jews, we worship. We have knowledge of and understand. For all salvation comes from and among the Jews. A time will come, however... Indeed, it's already here. Notice that in your Bible. When the true, genuine worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these as his worshipers. God is a spirit, spiritual being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, the anointed one. And when he arrives, he will tell us everything we need to know and make it clear to us. And Jesus said to her, I who now speak with you am he. Before you're seated, let me talk to you just a moment about worship. Because of modern day uh, media and inventions, we have reduced worship to song only. that is just a expression of worship. The Bible said to offer your body a living sacrifice uh, unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service or worship. Same word. Offering my body, which means denying myself of worldly lust and the things that my flesh wants to do so that I might honor God. Pulling away from relationships that dishonor him and grieving and and bearing the burden of that loneliness for his glory means that you are worth that to me. I will lose the friends. I will live unsatisfied. Uh, I will offer to you songs of gratitude. You cannot separate worship from what God is worth to you. They're the same. It's easy to tell, generally speaking, what God is worth to somebody by watching their life. He is worth up to inconvenience. He is worth up to uh, unfulfillment or sacrifice. But God says in his word, 
that he's looking for. True worshipers. Not everyone that worships is a true worshiper. Not everyone that worships Jesus is worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. It's a different Jesus, a different gospel. And I want to go kind of backwards uh, or back towards the subject. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the woman, you remember, who worshiped inside out. She gave heart water, remember? Cried with tears and washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And I want to take the other side this morning. And then if the Lord would allow, in the next couple of weeks, start talking about the examples of worship. But I want to show you the worship that God rejects, that he doesn't accept. Sincerity is not the key to worship. Spirit and in truth. Did it originate with God's spirit? The Holy Spirit brings all glory to Jesus, focuses everything on Jesus. And is it based according to scripture? You remember our revelation of who he is brings out worship. You remember? The woman said, you're the son of David. You're Messiah. And she knew he was a healer. So I want this to be today, uh, we're going to the doctor's office for the checkup. Except I'm not the doctor. Examine yourself to see if you are found in the faith. Examine yourself to see if you are offering the Lord uh, worship that is equivalent to what is due his name. Examine yourself to see if you are more afraid of the opinions of people than the opinion of God. Examine yourself because you get to be the worshiper you decide to be. We don't get to pick our gifts, callings, choose, uh, uh, you know, whether we're on the platform, whether we can sing. Uh, I wish we could pick that, but we don't get to pick who sings good and who doesn't, who has musical ability, but you are the worshiper that you want to be today. Period. And that's sobering in and of itself. May we leave today with a freedom and a, and a propensity to worship the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength. Father, I just humble myself before you this morning. And I ask you to anoint me with your Holy Spirit. I know that in my flesh I can profit no one, including myself, nothing in this present world or the one to come. We don't need man's ideas. We don't need uh, a formula. We need to see the truth of your word and receive it with meekness and grafting it to the fabric of our soul that we might grow thereby. Let us awake ourselves and sober ourselves in this last hour. And may we stop looking at worship as something that we do and realize that it's someone we are. And let it happen today, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This context of worship, Jesus brought up the term salvation. It says salvation is of the Jews. God started dealing with him. And God instituted what worship was. He laid out framework and groundwork, which was not law until he told them it was. So it wasn't the only way man could approach God, but it was types of that which would be later authentic worship from the inside. He gave them external rules and laws, which was a, a taskmaster to show them that they could not live that. But they were to practice bringing, you know, uh, of, of the flocks, of the lambs, of the goats, of the bullocks, 
of the turtle doves, of the grain and the wheat. And they were to do things like wave offerings and wave the first out of the ground to the Lord and wave it to God. And they were to offer the lambs without spot and the, and the, and the uh, bulls and such, turtle doves. But there was one theme, and I, I reserve the right to go back later when we talk about cost and expressions of worship. But there's one thing about the Old Testament worship that pointed to the revelation of us realizing what Jesus has done for us. And that is that they were required to give their first and their best. The first fruit of, of wheat was not worth anything, really. It's a token. It was, a to- it was just a token. It's just a, a small, you know, you got 100 acres and you're going to give a, a, a batch of wheat and wave it before the Lord. But the principle, that's why you hear me say all the time, God first. God first. Don't give to the government before you give to God. God first. And I don't need your money. This church don't need your money. It's not what this is about. This is not prepping you, manipulation for an offering. If you ever feel that in this church, please don't give. And I probably wouldn't come back. That's just not a good place to be. Uh, but we, we learn that God wants to be first. First. And he said in Malachi, he said, and you're bringing me these diseased lambs and, and crippled lambs. And, and the people would think that as an animal was right about to die or they couldn't sell it, hey, I'll just offer that to God and get two birds with one stone. And God told him uh, through Malachi, he said, just lock the doors to my temple. So what would that mean for us today? If we're, if we're going to come in late, leave early, and yawn through the service, he said, just don't come. What kind of crowd do you expect to draw? I'm not called to draw a crowd. I'm called to preach the word of God to the people. He said, that, that, that's a stench to me that you'd come. This lamb is, is porous, pouring poison from its body, and they offer it to the Lord. Worship, see that revealed to that, to that person, I just want to do the minimum. What's the minimum? What, what can I get by with? And God, you know, we say things, but it's, it's a two-sided sword. God knows all things. Yes, he does. He knows our heart. You know, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. That's the most encouraging phrase, and that's the most fearful phrase you can say. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And if we were to look at our calendars, our checkbook, and our passions, would God be first? Worship is as original and creative as what you do. To the farmers, he said, offer the grain. To those that had the cattle, offer them. To those that marketed birds, he said, offer them. It's not seeing how much we can give so we can put a dollar amount. It's letting the Lord see the overflow and reality of our heart. Is that clear? Okay, hold that introduction and we'll use it next Time we come to as well. I just what I'll do is push play on the DVD. That was good, and then I'll enter in on the next. Okay, first and best. Now, unacceptable worship. 
Well, God just, you know, anyone can come to God. No. Only if the Spirit draws them. Well, whatever you offer God, he'll take it. No. You'll hear phrases like that. No. Let's look at the unacceptable worship. We're going to deal with the person and then their expressions. Number one, you can write the religious. Let's go ahead and write the main points for my type A's. They'll love it. Number one, the religious. Number two, the proud. Number three, the carnal. And number four, the distant. Matthew 15, 9 says this. Jesus said, but in vain do they worship me, which means it's fruitless. It has no value. It comes to nothing. It's not accepted. There's no reward. He said, in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you, Pastor John, who you're talking about? Religious. Everybody. If they name the name of Jesus, run it through this filter. Okay? Religion does not necessarily mean it's evil, the, the, the name religion. But most religions have to do with giving preeminence to the commandments of men instead of the expectations of God. Okay. These are some of their characteristics of the religious. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men. No makeup. Y'all remember that? Any of you old enough? Mm. Uh, no long pants. You know, no makeup, no long pants, no eyeglasses, walking sticks, roll-on deodorant, outdoor floodlights, chewing gum. God delivered me from chewing gum. And you're going, what? But let me tell you, those days are gone. Now it's not you can't do anything. Now it's you can do everything. And we teach doctrines of men which said, oh, grace covers it, grace covers it, grace covers The doctrines of men over the commandments of God. And we need to see how God views a thing. He didn't mention chewing gum. So, you know, if your heart doesn't condemn you. Now, if your heart condemns you, you know, uh, eat fireballs. You can't chew chewing gum, you know. All right, letter A. The religious care more about the how of worship than the who and why of worship. Uh, form, structure. I preached in a uh, wonderful Baptist church many years ago. I was a guest speaker and I preached an evangelistic sermon. And three or four people gave their heart to the Lord. Altars were full. People repented. You know, and I'm a young preacher and I'm thinking, man, this was good. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord. And I turned it over to the chairman of the board of deacons and he come up and he goes, and looked at the pianist. That's bad, this pianist. He's, and she started playing, just as I am. We're done. I mean, I've, I've preached, altar prayed, first, second, fourth verse. You know, you don't do the third. Don't know why, but you don't do the third verse. And I figured out early on in the Baptist church what singing, you, just, you could lead singing if you could do a cursive D. If you could do a cursive D, you could lead everybody. I, I, just, I learned that on my own. I told my mom, I figured this out. I know how you can do it. But he got up and he sang first, second, and fourth verse. And if you'd like to come and move your letter. And nobody came. It was over. I'm just naive, young, stupid. I said, Why did you do that? He said, what? I said, the, the first, second, fourth verse, we'd already get, he goes, what's in the bulletin? Now, 
I'm using extremities so you'll remember these points. Listen. We'll care more about that. Keeping the way we do something than the why of what we're doing. Stand, beloved. Sit, beloved. Would you lift your hands? You say, lift your hands. Everybody lifts their hands. Well, you know, I'm under authority. I want to lift your hands. We ought to be talking people into sitting down instead of asking them to stand up. It's not the style that motivates us. It's not the form, the, 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 the religious order where the priest with the big hat walks in and then the guy with the second biggest hat walks in and then, you know, and they got the robes and they got the, uh, oh, this is in many different religions. And then you got the scepter and the wand and the, you know, the censer and the smoke and the beads and the crosses and the statues and the dead saints and everyone. And that is, they say it's sacred. The building is sacred. The sacred desk. No. You are the only appreciable, eternal asset in the world. And you are required to be a worshiper. We, this is dedicated to the Lord. But it's going to be burned up. You're the house of worship. Don't be caught up in a, this is the way we do. There's not a way we do. There is a, when gratitude hits you, spontaneous worship. Or as you purpose and intend in your heart to express yourself. The religious incorporate and reply upon visual and tangible items. I mentioned these relics, statues, beads, candles, censers, altars, Bibles, pulpits, buildings, wardrobes, jewelry, chairs, thrones, robes, hats, specific colors. That religious people love external stuff. And you got a big Bible in the front, you know, as you walk in and it opens up. And we treat that one different than we do the pocket New Testament. Anybody ever had a drive by and somebody throw the pocket New Testament at you? You know, those little green Bibles as they drive by. Why, now, I'm just, at, I'm just stirring. I'm just, if I don't do nothing else today, just make you uncomfortable. Uh, why is the little green Bible in the floorboard of your car with melted crayons on it not as important as the big Bible at church on the table, the archaic table, and the carvings, and the hinge, and the scope? That's sacred. No, the word in your heart is sacred. It's not the cover. It's not the Bible. It's not the statue. Religious people love relics because relics don't rule in your heart. Things. They love things they can see. Do you remember when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and everyone that looked upon it was healed? They started to worship the thing. And then a man of God melted it down and sprinkled it all in the water and he said, this thing, Nehushtan, thing of brass, and threw it, melted it down and got rid of it. You'd have had a church split. That's, that's, that's the thing that healed people. No, it's the God that pointed to the thing and said that thing's going to heal. It's the thing that tight typified the Jesus to come who looked like the impaled serpent on the tree being a curse for us. Religious people have a lot of sacred things Worshippers have a sacred God. It's just the one, that's my one thing. They're more committed to their traditions than the Holy Scriptures. Listen to this. 
And the religious man is integral, primary, and elevated in the process of worship. The idea that someone would walk an aisle and kiss a man's ring. No different than the Pentecostal charismatics. If you want this anointing, you better be the first 20 people who come. But 22. Okay, 22. Come down. The first 22 that get under this anointing. Religious. Religion makes man part of the process. And if you have access to the man, you are closer to the God he represents. No. We come through the torn veil of his flesh, that is to say his body. And we have a high priest over the house of God and we draw near with full assurance of faith. Don't need Pastor John, don't need a preacher, Pastor, Bishop, don't need anybody. As a matter of fact, the moment you come in, you alter my worship. I don't need you to worship. I can worship beside you. You can even lead me in worship. Which means, may I lead the song. But leading in the song is not the leading of the worship. Proof of that is, if that were the case, then we have more access to God this morning than the person in ICU. Because they don't have access to the worship leader. Be careful of the people where man is an integral, vital part of someone's worship. I don't have to serve you communion. You can serve yourself. You see? Just be careful. These are just filters, okay? The religious eventually separate people into classes of worshipers. Clergy. What? Laity. Which means superior, inferior. Pastor, deacons. Elders, and then the common folk. You see, deacon and elder are just titles that express the area in which they work. One operates with the wisdom of many years of knowing the Lord, dealing with church issues, and a deacon's a servant. Be careful of classes of people. That's why since day one, February 5th, 1995, it's just my idea, and I don't know if you ever knew this, or it's just, I was intentional. Now, I just didn't want the big chairs on the stage, and the two little small archaic chairs were my associate pastor and my youth pastor, and then Pastor John got the big, I just, I just thought it sent a signal, you get the hard blue one, I get the cushy mahogany one, you know, I just, if one of us does hard blue, all of us do hard blue. Anyway, no classes. If you're in a religion, you'll eventually leave feeling smaller than some of the participants. Because I'm just a worshiper. And I've tried to teach you, and I trust that you've grasped this, that you would have to step down from being a son and daughter of God to be any class of worker. Daughter of God and son of God. Is as high as it gets. <laughs> Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now. And pastor just means that was my job. Watch. That was my worthship to him. John, I have an assignment for you. For you? Yes, sir. 
and there is no more glory in heaven for me than there is for the Sunday school teacher of the four-year-olds, the person that does the nursery, the person that greets the person in the parking lot, if they offer it unto God based on a revelation of who he is and how grateful they are to him, that worship is accepted. But religious worship is rejected. If it's to get in the loop. I had somebody, I've had a couple people over 25 years say, how do you, I just don't know how to get in the loop. How do you get in the loop? I said, there's not a loop. And they, what do you mean? There's got to be a loop. Every church has, I said, oh, you mean like the pastors, you know, like inner circle or you give a certain amount, you get to be a board member. I said, oh, no, no, no. That single mama with four kids has the exact same voice as the pastor or a deacon or an elder. Same voice. She's a worshiper. Now, it doesn't mean she has the same administration, but we don't bring glory. We don't bring classes of people. You should never feel small around another believer, minister or not. If you do, run from them because they do not represent the meek and lowly Christ. The religious distort, pollute, and dilute the purity and simplicity of the word of God and our worship of God. The end of religious worship is blindness. Blindness. People like religion because they can check it off the list. Did I do this in the corner? Did I do this at the altar? Did I pay this? Did I, did I check in here? Did I honor these days? Did I worship in this way? Did I face the north? They love religion because they can check off the list. Listen, why is that so important? Because when I check off the list, I can get back to governing my own life. Which is idolatry. Paul said, just forget about the list. Offer everything to God as a living, your life as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is, by the way, reasonable worship. Why would he say living sacrifice? My understanding, I mean, you might think this way as well. Dying once is a lot easier than dying every day. I put a pistol to your head, denounce the Lord. Nope. All right, baby, see you and the kids in heaven, and they kill you. But dying daily, denying yourself daily, doing without daily, that's offering your body a reasonable sacrifice. Religion says, check out the boxes. Christianity says, identify with Jesus on the cross and die daily. Well, they're flocking in here now, aren't they? See, how to have your best life now. You know, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. But yeah, you know what that verse was talking about? He's talking to a group of people who would still be in captivity another, another 70 years. I know the plans he had for Stephen. Stephen's, I know the plans that God has for me. Yeah, you're going to get stoned with rocks. Paul's, I know the plans the Lord has for me. Yeah, you're going to lose your head. And 11 of the 12 disciples are going to be martyred. So are you saying that verse is not applicable? I'm saying we've stretched the border tense of that verse so much as it's kind of a protector so nothing can happen to us. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and bless you, you know, bring you into to all that he's planned, is that you would glorify God. But you don't hear it in that context. Go look it up, the context of that verse. They're going to be in captivity another 70 or so years. Those are the plans. So I'll be like 70, I'm 56. John, at 126, you're getting out of jail. 
He's just messing up all my favorite things, my songs, my everything. <laughs> all right, number two. Got to get through these. His plans are good for us, but they're based on cause, not comfort. They're based on cause. He's going to wring your life out and get as much glory as he can so that you will radiate in heaven with reward. And this one brought this honor to the Lord. This one brought this honor. You're going to be glad you did. Everybody that worshiped here is going to be glad there. And by worship, I'm not talking about just singing. What they gave of themselves to the Lord. Number two, the worship, uh, unacceptable worship, the proud. The proud. Doesn't matter what you sing. It doesn't matter how big the check is. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. You can come to every church meeting, uh, prayer meeting. You can serve and build houses for Habitat for Humanity. God abhors proud people. The proud that does not know his own guilt. The proud man that does not recognize his own weakness, his own smallness, his own insignificance, his own fragility. Proud people are defined by the word self. Self-willed, self-determined, self-confident, self-absorbed, self-sufficient, self-promoting, self-reliant. They must be first. They must have the final say, the final authority. They must descend. They must succeed. They must be recognized and rewarded. Their will, their choices, their comfort, their pleasure, their security, their well-being, their person must be preeminent. Pastor John, are you saying we're not supposed to be confident in our life? Oh, yes, but not arrogant. I'm confident that the God that gave me the capacity to do something and the opportunity to do something will give me the grace to do it for his glory. That kind of self-confidence. He's a self-made man. That's scary. God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There are people that have offered songs of worship their whole life in church, and not one of them be accepted because they're proud. They've never bowed their heart. They see God as just a larger version of themselves. The Bible speaks of this being very common before the return of the Lord. Know that in the last day, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. God hates the way they carry themselves. This is, this is sobering to me. Proverbs 6. Six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Right out the gate, he says, God hates the way a proud man carries himself. Above you. Significant. Self-sufficient. Self-celebrated. Self-promoted. Seeing himself through a flawed lens of his own ignorance. How are we supposed to live, Brother John? Seeing ourselves through the word of God with a broken and humble and contrite spirit. And the Bible says if we do that, if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, then the Lord will lift us up. We don't walk around staring at our feet, but we don't look down on anybody. When you know what you've been redeemed from, you can't look down on anybody. And if you've, that's why I tell you over and over, if you feel small around another minister and you think he's great, he's radiating that. Be careful. Or a teacher. 
There's no, there's no arrogance that God accepts. It says he hates a haughty look. Now, you can get mad at me if you want. I'm just going to give you uh, one example. And I, I guess it's the generation we live in. I, I, it, I'm not a, a fan of any football team or anything, but if I had to pick a sport, you know, I, I like football far and above the other ones. And there's this new thing over the last eight or nine years, ten years, a cornerback makes a tackle, and as soon as he makes a tackle, he runs off the field. I'm like, you're down 42 to 7. You made a tackle. You follow me? You're making $32 million a year. You're making $600,000 a game. You made a tackle, catfish. What, what's the, it's the, do you see me? Do you recognize what's in front of you? And that's in the church. You ought to be glad I came. No. I have been here longer than anybody. and I'm an unprofitable servant at best. I don't know where that leaves you, but, you know. Pastor John, I feel like you're beating me up. No. I'm, I'm trying to give us a correct assessment of ourselves. Because if you, can, if you can get the heart right, you can soar with eagle's wings. You can be filled with the Spirit of God, live under the favor of God, feel the smile of God, have the blessing of God. But proud people, he rejects, he, he said, I hate the way you look. A proud look, how they carry themselves. You might think it's a strength. The world acts like it's a strength. But it's the opposite of the Christ that come riding on a donkey. The king of kings riding on a donkey. You can ride in unrecognized places when you know who you are. When you know who you are. And so who are you, John? I'm a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. God abhors them. It says everyone that's proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. God scatters them. Luke 1, he has shown strength with his arm. He scatters the proud in the imagination of the heart. And the end is destruction. Isaiah 13, in the day of the Lord, I'll punish the world for evil, the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. In the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there will be no proud people walking the earth. He says, I'll cause it to cease. Number three, the carnal. Romans 5 Romans 8, 5 through 14. Do you have your Bible with you? Romans 8, 5 through 14. If you'll read, I'll drink water. How about that? Romans 8, 5 through 14. You can just turn around. You're loud enough. Keep going to, to verse 14. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have 
Um, two more. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death all deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Thank you, buddy. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. The person that lives after the dictates of the flesh, which means I want, I need... I desire, if you live compulsion, under compulsion to your physical impulses, the Bible said that's the enemy of God. You, you wouldn't think we have to mention this now, but now it needs mentioning more than ever. In the 80s, when I became a follower of Jesus Christ in my 20s, there was still a good bit of residue of legalism, adding commandments that were not there. And now... Now you can be shacked up with someone and come and hold their hand and lift and on a Sunday morning and lift your other hand to God. You can sleep around with whoever you want to, committing fornication, sins against the body, and your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can be a homosexual. You can be a lesbian. You can be arrogant. You can be proud. You can be a thief. And thanks, well, God ought to be happy. Don't tell me. I know he accepts me. No. No. Group me in with you. No. We have access through Christ, but there's an altar that's supposed to be in our life. And if I'm living after the flesh, a decomposing flesh, that, that was the reason he was beaten beyond recognition. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. That which caused him that pain to say, I can live that way and just slap grace on it like mayonnaise on a sandwich. No, grace is applied to the repentant heart. Repentance is a confession that what I did was a sin against you and I'm turning away from it and distancing myself from it, which shows not just a confession, but a change of address, a change of proximity. Repent. Worshippers, repent. Your pastor has to repent all the time, from the small to the great, for the way I speak, sometimes to my wife and babies, uh, sometimes out of physical pain, other times just because I'm, I'm that small of a man, uh, for the way we repent for the motive of our heart or for the way we Shade the truth. The, 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 this modern day thing is, you're in Jesus, just come and grace covers it. No, grace, grace will not cover anything you don't uncover. Just repent. Just repent. Now, when I repent, it's forgiven. I'm not going to wallow in it. Uh, what I did was sin. And I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've said this phrase. Lord, I don't want to be that kind of man. For him, my wife, and my baby, I repent. I repent. I repent. And then we start going, well, if I'm going to repent that much, I might as well just keep doing it. That's the trick of the enemy. 
carnal people. You can't live after the flesh, which God said is being an enemy to him, and then come in and saying, I will worship with all my heart. You can't be out at the club till 2 in the morning and then come in singing, how great thou art on Sunday morning. You see what I'm saying? So what you're saying, no, what I'm saying is you have to be consecrated. You have to be sanctified, okay, sanctified, set apart from the world, and consecrated unto God. Not perfect, but a perfect heart. And when we sin, we have an advocate of the Father. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not a condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I am clean. I am forgiven. I am flawed. The longer I live, anybody else, the longer you live, you said, I didn't realize how bad I was. See, when you first get saved, you go, I got to stop sleeping around smoking weed. That's what I got to do. I got to stop smoking weed. I got to stop drinking. And you get those three out of the way, you go, whoo, victory. Oh, no, baby. And now the new convert's going, what do you mean, no? Wait till them hidden demons come out. And you rebuke them and they don't buke. <laughs> anyway, that's a separate sermon. Let me move right along here. Oh, I'm out of time. Great. All right. I'll stop after this point. If our musician would come, please. We'll get to the other one next week, Lord willing. If he allows. It's fine with me if he comes. Anybody else? Come on. The carnal... Live for and by the flesh. And it's expressed in many variations of sin. You see, the fornication, the adultery, the homosexuality, the lesbianism, the perversion, the sexual sins. The sins of drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, sexual sins satisfy the flesh. The drugs, the alcohol, the stimulants, the flesh, sloth, the flesh. Uh, compulsive eating, overeating, the pleasure of the flesh. These people that live this way, the sin is expressed in many different ways, but carnality is the problem. And you can be saved and then start to live carnally. And that breaks fellowship with the Lord. God will tell you where the line is about identity. But it breaks fellowship because I can't be an enemy of God and be a worshiper of God at the same time. Does that make sense? I can't live that way. The carnal are controlled by passions. And we're confused in this last hour. Like I said, there's the hyper grace and then there's the overly uh, religious, you know, convicting. Say, well, Brother John, something must be wrong with me because I... I still am pulled. No, no, God doesn't deliver you from the pull of sin. He delivers you from the power of sin. But the longer you live consecrated, the less that tastes good. You have to reacquire a taste for it. In the same way it took a while to get consecrated, it takes a while to turn back. And we can't be controlled by passions and worship the Lord. The carnal give preeminence to pleasure. Now, I don't have anybody in mind when I'm thinking about this, but I'll tell you, the vast majority of people that have worshipped in this house, well, many, I'll just say, because I don't know the numbers, many come to church if they don't have anything better going on. They part, by coming to church or part of the church or worshipping or teaching, but anything else that comes along, 
Now, does Brother John, does that mean you don't go on family vacation? Of course not. Your wife will leave you if you don't go on vacation. You got to go on vacation. You got to have rest. You got to take time off. But I'm grateful for my mom and dad for raising me in such a way that I knew if we were alive and not contagious, this is what we do. This is who we are. Pleasures weren't the priority. The carnal esteemed the temporal over the eternal. The temporal over the eternal. Temporal fun over eternal pleasure. Temporal lust over eternal freedom. Always talking about now. The flesh always says now. The flesh always, carnal people live for now. It just felt good in the moment. Now, no one ever says, man, I just, I just crave ribs so bad. I think two weeks from Thursday, I'm going to eat some. It's now. That glossy-eyed 19-year-old boy, I got to have her now. Can't wait. The Bible says that those that live for pleasure are dead while they live. Isn't that hard? So what's the balance, Brother John? What are you saying? I'm saying that God has created all the pleasures of this life for us. He loves to see me satisfied, body, soul, uh, physically, sexually, relationally, financially, maritally. He wants to see my life experience pleasure in its fullness, controlled by nothing but His Spirit. Because if life is all about pleasure, what do you do when you get older and you can't enjoy the pleasures? When you can't see anymore, you can't hear anymore. You see, that's the trick of the devil. Temporal, temporal, temporal. And he that does not plan for his future will hate his future. We are laying for ourselves treasures in heaven. So when we get there, we put it away. You know, the people get to retirement. I ain't got, hey, what, what happened? We ain't put nothing away since the Korean War. How do you think that you're going to have something in retirement? The carnal choose comfort over cause. And they choose the worship they offer. Listen, I'll close with this. The worship they offer must be easy, convenient, inexpensive, and for their benefit. I'm going to say that again. You need to write that down. Carnal people, the worship they offer must be easy, convenient, inexpensive, and for their benefit. God told Abram, who'd walked with him a good while and gave him his promised boy. He said, offer your boy unto me on the mount that I'm going to show you. And Abram saddled the donkey with rope and wood and fire. And his sons, I want all the fathers to look at me. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine... If I saw my little boy, Elisha, say, Daddy, I see the wood and I see the rope. I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide a sacrifice. Come on. And when he got to the place, God told him or showed him or he just knew that he was at the place. He told all the servants that were with him. He said, y'all stay here. 
I got to do this for my. The boy and I go yonder to worship. What? This is how much you are worth to me. And he put that little boy down. Now watch. The boy willing to be offered and him willing to offer. And he tied the rope on him. And had God not spoken, he would have killed that boy. He raises the knife and a voice from heaven, Stop! And he turned to his right and there was a, a ram whose horns his, it was caught in the thicket. He couldn't get out. And he untied the boy and killed the ram. I like to think of it this way. While Abram and Isaac were walking up this side of the mountain, God had the ram walking up this side of the mountain and said, I just wanted to see what was in your heart. Worship. I just want to see what's in your heart. When you say, God, for you I'll live and for you I'll die. God, I'll live by myself. God, I'll live with a family. I'll raise kids that aren't mine. I'll move out of town. You, you name it, and it may be hard. But you are worth, worth it to me. Would you bow your heads with me? Josh, would you play this song for me? And if you've not heard this, the lyrics will be up here. I want us to enter into this, and we're going to close. If that's in your heart, would you stand with me? Feel free to lift your hands, love on the Lord, and sing this from the deepest part of who you are.
Jesus, you are the worthy treasure. You are the worthy treasure. God, you have set us free, and it is for freedom that you've set us free, and free to worship you, free to enter in into your presence, free to come to you, to lay our burdens down, to take up your yoke, it's easy, and your burden is light. God, would you pull away the weeds in our life that would choke away your word, to remove the stones that would impede the roots going deep, God, would you let the rain of your Holy Spirit pour over us this week? Would you let our hearts flow free in worship, Lord? Not just in song, but in everything we do. And God, we praise you today that you've set us free. Let us walk in your freedom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.